you asked me a question about finishes and aesthetics. Listen, I stuff's cool. Like it's, it does. And there's a return, you know, but I'm passionate about the, uh, the recapture of revenue based off of hard discussions, lease renewals, releases, marketing dollars in Facebook and, and qualifying tenants that aren't going to destroy the place. And that are also going to pay high premiums. So we leverage everything we can on the organic end to ensure you know, our clients can 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 sell or disposition or they're 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 in a, a solid equity position. Welcome to Ria Radio, episode sixty-eight with Stephen Ward. You're listening to Ria Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RiaRadio.com. Oh, and I thought it was so funny the other day because you always give me a hard time about the whatever not <laughs> comment that I make. I hate the fact that you say douche all the time. And uh, and with that, I I know my phone listens to me now because I was on – we're having this conversation. My phone suggests on Facebook the whatever not app store no it's it was whatnot oh was it whatnot remember because i said whatever not has free shipping (laughs) do you remember that yeah but i i I just thought it was whatever not but anyway so it caught on to it (laughs) just said it again (laughs) well i was talking about the whatever not (laughs) uh listeners ted has this tendency to invent words on the fly as i'm sure you've noticed And, and we were talking about that fact the other day and then he shows us his phone has a website suggestion called Whatnot, where you can buy and sell things, evidently. And then, yeah, so that's that's the insight. It is Whatnot. There. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not whatever <laughs> not. <laughs> but yeah, that phone is listening, and it knew that I, I wanted to look at the Whatnot. Stupid phones. Thanks, oh, man, Steve Jobs. They... <laughs> so I'm, listen- I'm listening to uh, Joe Rogan the other day, and he's interviewing um, Maynard James Keenan, the lead singer of Tool. Okay. And he- they're getting in the whole, like, TikTok deal. And I'm not a TikTok guy because I just do not have the time in my life to suck, have something else suck at it, right? Okay. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. And and he talks to, he talks about the TikTok and he's like, yeah, we broke down all the rules and registrations. We actually read it word for word on our show, of course, because their podcast goes three hours, which is super long. And and on theirs, they went through that whole process and I uh, said at the end, everything that TikTok is on so with the TikTok, if your internet's connected, all your your computers, everything that is connected to your phone also has the rights for TikTok to get in there and steal all the content from it. Yeah, it's basically you have one device, and they're saying if you accept TikTok as an app on that device, then it gets the rights to any media or files that you have on any other connected device on your Wi-Fi or network or whatever. Very alarming. That's the. I, I when I first when TikTok was first coming out, I was like, nope, I'm out because it was a you know Chinese unregulated app, and there was all these yeah potential hidden you know mines within the uh, within the app itself. So I just like I don't I'm I'm good. I don't need it. It wasn't until that came out I actually started reading the apps I'm actually downloading. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. And then there's like certain things I want to get. I'm like, man, okay, so they're sharing this. They have access to this. I'm like, oh man, am I really that guy now that I'm checking everything? TikToker. I'm not a TikToker. Ted TikTok Kosh. That's you know, your new you know handle. Who's, you know who's a really big TikToker is Jerry Schlickburn. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of surprising to me. Huh. 
Interesting. So she's always sharing TikToks uh, on her group. So if somebody shares you a TikTok video, but you don't download the app, you're not going to be TikToked when you when you look <laughs> at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Okay. Do, hey, do, listeners, beware. Do, beware of TikTok. Do you don't listen to you TikTok? I don't. No. But but I do open TikToks when people send it to me, but I don't have the app, so I just open it in a browser. Yeah. But yeah. I can see you have some sweet TikTok moves. <laughs> nah. I, so when TikTok came out, I I actually heard about TikTok before it like launched in um, like the Western Hemisphere because I was reading up about investing in China because that at that point in time I was just trying to make money anyway. So I was reading up about investing in China and the different up and coming companies and what they are bringing to the market and TikTok came up and that was. I can't remember what year it was, but it was like two or three years before it launched in the Western Hemisphere. Hmm. And when it when it came out, I was like, "Wow!" If I had invested then, I probably would have make money now. However, TikTok just it 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 really is very consuming, and it it you you would find yourself scrolling on TikTok. It, yeah, for it hours. consumes your life. Yeah. Like yeah, you Literally. look up and it's like an hour later. Like yeah. I've. I've fallen guilty of that on just reels exactly on, exactly on facebook or instagram or whatever yeah it's a time suck totally yep. well i heard yep. that, i heard they're possibly gonna be a national band they're talking about doing it right now oh really so yeah so i mean it is very good for marketing and all these different things but i would quicker stick to reels and youtube reels and uh, youtube shorts which actually is something that Let's not go that direction yes, because I'm, I'm literally looking us, at YouTube right now and like, I should have never brought that up. Tell us about these YouTube shorts. So, Stephen Ward, episode 68. You guys could continue from now. All right. We digress. So, last time we, we talked, you told me that you were going down to uh, Branson uh, for a weekend trip. Yep, that's how, right. How was the trip? So, final due diligence day, we closed on our... The mill on 76 projects, so a 152-room hotel. We're converting it into an apartment complex, raising some money along the way. Woo-hoo! Whoop, whoop. And <clears throat> Andrea, Axel, and I uh, drove down, or I met them down there to do, uh, yeah, a final walkthrough. So we walked through, you know, all the buildings. Every unit? Uh, not every unit. Okay. We looked in, you know, in the windows, but you get the gist of it. We're taking almost everything out of every unit, mm-hmm. so, like, it doesn't, you know. What are you going to see in one that's not in the other? So, yeah, we did that and then uh, ended up closing on it on Monday, uh, which was Halloween, uh, and then headed back. So it was a quick trip. Fl- uh, went, drove down Saturday, drove back on Monday morning. Uh, but, yeah, no, well, we got it closed. So Congratulations. Now, now, yeah, thanks. Uh, so is there stuff already happening there right now? Yeah. The, so the very next day, they actually – we have a, a, a – Basically, a, a business that's uh, affiliated with some nonprofits. They come and they uh, clean everything out. Mm. So anything that has like you know the bedding, the beds, the furniture, um, you know nightstands, all that, all that stuff, they'll come in and remove all of it. And then immediately after they're done taking all that out, then we'll have demo happening right afterwards. And then it'll take a little bit to start sourcing materials for a project that size because it's not like you can be like, oh hey uh, Lowe's, can I get 142 refrigerators delivered? You know what I mean? So we got to plan around this whole thing. And then the fact that there is such a volume that we're going to need on a project this size, we have the opportunity to um, save some money with sourcing materials too. So we've had to work that in with our contractor to make sure they're okay with us being, you know, kind of the the sourcing or procurement people on the project. I think it'd be a huge tax write-off donating that much furniture, 152 units worth of furniture, beds, TVs, all that stuff. 
Yeah, it's uh, and, it's it's a. I mean, it's a lot. It, it's going to take them so you several days. So you won't owe taxes and sex here then. Uh, I, I hope not. <laughs> We're going to have a gigantic uh, cost segregation study in 2023 tax year too, because of all the huge, uh, you know, cost of the construction build out that we're going to be doing. So that that'll is, be good. That is really interesting. I mean, you could just have a really cool garage sale too. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> but you know, this will be interesting too because we've had so up until the day we bought it, we've had uh, it was bank owned, right? So it was a foreclosure. The bank owned it. The city of Branson was getting kind of pissed at the bank because they weren't uh, paying attention to securing it. Mm-hmm. So they had basically, you know, there were some homeless people or vagrants or whatever that were kind of coming in. They would go to a part of the property, like the, a couple of buildings that didn't have good visibility. So they would come into the lower units and then just break in and, you know, crash there or, you know, do drugs or whatever. And, uh, they, so the, the bank was getting some flack from the city of Branson. So they're like, look, you need to secure your property. So they ended up hiring a basically like a, a 24 seven, uh, service there to go and board up the, you know, board up the place, patrol it, make sure there weren't people, you know, sleeping in there or doing whatever, taking stuff out. But now that we're going to have all the like bedding and beds and everything else out, I'm just curious if that's even going to still be a thing. Are people going to go in and be like, okay, well, I'm laying on the concrete now. It's not as, not as fun. Have you guys considered like keeping some of the stuff in there for like furnished rental options? No, or it's like gross. That? It's no. bad. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, cause you don't know if, uh, like bed bugs, you don't know any of that stuff. So we're Got just going to start fresh. We're going to have to drywall every unit anyway. So it's going to be all, you know, basically all new, all new construction almost. So when can, when will this start producing money for you? Well, we think probably about March uh, to April in 2023, we'll start having a building complete. And the nice thing about this deal is, so we have six different uh, buildings on the property. We can get a certificate of occupancy from the city of Branson as we complete each building. So that'll be the nice thing. And ideally, we can we can finish the smaller buildings first, right? Because there's two 12-unit properties there. It makes sense to bring those online first because it'll take the least amount of time. Mm-hmm. So we're ideally looking to get those you know, online, certificate of occupancy done, Leased up and then work on, you know, kind of work on the rest of the units as we go. The main front facing building. Yeah. Well, that, that is that one of the first ones? Or that'll not? be the, that'll be the Airbnb. And that will probably be the first thing that comes online. Got so it. we're going to rehab that and turn basically kind of like the mid level and then the upstairs into an Airbnb unit and then have uh, uh, the, uh, the rest of the main floor in an office and then like vending and stuff like that in it. It'll be cool. Is there a pool and stuff there? There too? is a pool. Will you keep that? We're going to see it, uh, what kind of damage it has, if any. Okay. It's holding water right now, which isn't great for us, you yeah. know, from a liability perspective. But there's, you know, some water in the bottom of it just from rain or whatever. Uh, but we're going to have to have that inspected and, you know, get a you know scope of work done. How much is it going to cost to maintain it? How much is it going to cost to fill it in and just delete it? Uh, so all kind of to be determined. But and the thing is, too, you have to look at, okay, is the fencing requirements being met uh, with it? So you may have to build another wall with a fence on top of it. You may have to secure it, pay for that. So it just they become a big money pit a lot of times. You mentioned that you'll be taking money on as you go. Yep. So does that mean that you're still taking uh, investors on this? or Because I thought the window closed already. No, it didn't close. We, we ended up closing on the property with cash. So we didn't use any bank financing. We used all of our investor capital and our own capital that we put into the deal as limited partners. So, right. So like this in this deal in particular, it was a million and a half was the purchase price. So the whole property was vacant. So mm-hmm. we raised enough money so that uh, between the money that us as partners, the Foley's and myself put in and then our limited partners, the money we raised there, we, we closed on it with cash. And then the construction loan we're getting from a bank. 
and we're going to raise about another $800,000 so that we can close on the construction loan in addition to the money we have in the operating account. So we're going to raise uh, enough money to close on the construction loan. And then basically they're going to require us to put in 25%, I think is the, is the Delta there of the total amount of the construction. Um, but the, we, sh once we raise this 800 grand, we should be done. And we're going to have uh, pace financing as a component of this as well. So a lot of that, since it is such a heavy lift on the construction side, pace allows you to um, basically work that in as a component of your total construction loan without having to come up with a portion of the money for it like you would normally, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And what is pace financing? So it's basically ener energy efficiency. So if you have, let's say, windows, as long as they have a certain rating, doors, uh, construction materials in general, if you're being, you know, uh, quote unquote green, uh, and I don't quote me on all this, but, uh, you'll have to, you know, kind of read through what the requirements are, but as long as a big chunk of that applies toward what paces requirements are, then you can, you can include that as part of your capital stack okay. as long as the vendor's willing to, or the, uh, the lender is willing to play ball. So like if you have a, a lender that says, hey, okay, Hey, borrower, you guys have to put down 20% or 25%. They may actually allow pace to, uh, as part of your you know, quote unquote down payment, you can include up to 5% or maybe even 10, depending on the lender. So now you, now it drastically reduces the amount of money you actually have to kick in of your own. You can use that as part of your capital stack. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Could, could that be done in a single family home or that it probably doesn't make sense financially? Probably doesn't make sense financially. Generally pace financing is going to be toward your larger commercial, you know, development projects because the amount of the materials that you're going to be using are going to be you know, in insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So it, that, that was my, that was my weekend, man. If somebody was interested in investing in this with you still, and they're listening right now, can they just reach out to you on Instagram? Or is that the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, call or email me too. Cause we're, and here's the thing on this particular project, we're doing a 503 B uh, syndication. So this is something to where you have to personally know me or one of the, you know, general partners in the deal to, in order to be able to uh, participate in it. And there's some things and I can talk to you in more detail about that, what the requirements are. Well, with that, let's get in a little bit about Stephen Ward on our episode 68 podcast here. Stephen Ward. I mean, <laughs> did you know that he had so much going on? He well, I did just from working with him. Uh, he has way more of a story than even I I knew about. I've known him for a little bit. He's managed some properties and projects for me. I didn't know about that part. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> he's done some pretty tough projects, as a matter of fact. But extremely intelligent guy. Um. Uses a lot of descriptive uh, descriptive words to tell stories. Uh, you're gonna hear a lot of details in how he was able to grow his business work and and hire family members and and stay sane and you know not fight each other at the thanksgiving table uh like some <laughs> some people devolve into when they hire family members but yeah just he's got a, a varied amount of experience just extremely sharp guy and uh, has done a lot in the property management uh project management and brokerage space and has helped a lot of investors grow their portfolio immensely including myself i mean I, one thing I, I underlined in my notes here when I was listening to him was historian. I felt like when he talked about something, he could get into the the history of something. So he explained it very well and in depth, uh, going over the history of the law changes, whatever not. So um, I, I thought maybe that'd be something you were going to use as a tagline at the end of it, but you, you didn't. You had something else a little bit more creative out there. 
And you, you ever see? I, you ever see those um, uh, gifs where there's a, a person walking along and it looks like just a puddle, and they they step in it and they're like they go in they go in over their head. Yeah. That's what Stephen Ward's like. Like you you think you could ask any random question. That's the you know the puddle, and you're like oh you know they'll go a little deep into that, and then next thing you know he's reciting a you know diatribe a half hour long about everything he knows about the the subject. So it's just extremely knowledgeable about all kinds of arcane uh, stuff. Denlis was like, he talks like a politician. <laughs> you ask him a question, he has all this answer, and then you yeah. got to loop him back around and get back to the question. Uh, we give him a hard time about that, but he is a very, very intelligent guy. I think this episode is actually long enough, too, that we split this into two episodes yep. because uh, we, we don't want to put a three-hour podcast on you guys. Um, Plus, it's such good content. We thought you know, it might be you know worth putting out there and and yeah. uh, get a fresh start the next once, one. Once, once the, the, the interview is great... Even if it's three hours long, I would want to keep all the content or most of the content in. Yep. And in that case, I would have to split it into two. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, work your magic, man. I will. <laughs> that was good stuff. Well, before we move on to the podcast, can we get into today's golden, golden nugget? nugget? Today's golden nugget. I was reading a couple of articles or, or forum posts where people were really struggling to come up with a business name and or logo. And so I wanted to bring that up again. We may have touched on this uh, in previous episodes at one time, but if you're going to start a new business idea, Ted, uh, anything in particular that you would want to include or uh, uh, an approach you might have on, you know, figuring out how to come up with a name? Well, I, I think that any successful business in this country has a last name figured into it, doesn't it? Their last name? Yeah. And if you think of any major company, it's it's based on a, on a name, somebody's name. Like Apple? Tesla. Um, well, Tesla does have a last name. Yeah. Warner. Warner Trucking. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe we could... uh, I, I've actually heard that some people say that you should use your name in or pa- part of your name in your branding for consistency so that when people are typing up your company, that your name would come up. So it, it helps with, with SEO. That that's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. I, but then, I it, but it, it can hurt you on the other end if if you're if the if you're a star and you're a big celebrity and then you you brand your business under it and then you go to sell it and then that 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 brand is gone. Yeah, but you still have the name. So sometimes that can hurt you too. But I mean, most I, times people when they buy those type of companies, they re, they will rebrand and rename it to something else. I mean, so you own DB Video, you used your initials in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have my LLCs are Cash Money Properties, Cash Money Investing. But I did a play word like cuz a lot of people would pronounce my last name Cash, so you know, I did a little play on that. Sure. Okay. Um, and then the other businesses just didn't make sense to have a na- name behind it. Okay, I have uh, I have a list here of some suggestions on how to go about approaching this. So there there are sites out there that are business name generators. So you can go out there. There's one called Looka, L-O-O-K-A. And you can basically enter keywords. So things that you're thinking about or ideas that you have, maybe it's an industry, maybe it's a descriptive word, maybe it's a, a color, maybe it's your last name, or maybe you know something meaningful to you that you want to see incorporated into the business name itself. And what it will do then is it takes kind of your alphabet soup of, of uh, requirements and then it'll come up with a ton, a whole list of suggestions. That way you don't have to sit there and grind and grind and grind on it yourself. You just have a generator that comes up with these things. You never know what's going to come out of that. Mm-hmm. But what what the, what they found is, and the whole name and like last name thing, I think, yes, I would, I would agree with that to a point. 
because if you're just starting out and it's like Dashner properties or or Dashner and then whatever my business is, something else in there, nobody's going to know what that means, Mm -hmm. right? So generally, you want to make something sticky and memorable. So have something that's a not ABC finishings or you know like an acronym, quick dash lending. Yeah, like something that has meaning when somebody's looking at it. So you want to be a little bit descriptive about what you're doing. So like Dennis's example of DB video, and he and I have talked about this. Yeah. Nobody knows what DB is, right? Decibel. Most people don't, yes. Right. So most Very people right. don't know what that means. Yes. And DB video, they're like, what does that company do? I have no idea. Right. So that's why we had talked about kind of rebranding that or changing the name into something that's more sticky, yeah. something more descriptive about what you actually do. Like what was what did we talk about? What was the was it white, white hat white content? Hat, yeah. yeah. White hat content creators. Yeah. Has, it has a color, which is sticky. So color from a marketing perspective is something that sticks in in people's heads. So if it was, if you're just talking about XYZ, you know, property group, or if you're like, you know, red ladder or white hat or something like that, that you remember an object and a color a lot more easily than you do an idea or, you know, initials or a last name. Right. And then, and then the combination of white hat has a significance, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. So Acronym, avoid acronyms, make it sticky, Use col- incorporate colors into the name somehow, capture something that's descriptive about your business if you need to. So content creation, like in this case, mm-hmm. people understand what that means. Alliteration is a good one. So use you know two words that have uh, that begin with the same thing. So like, uh, what's an example? Liquid lending. Liquid lending. There we go. <laughs> Liquid lending solutions. Thank you. I didn't do that on purpose. I know. Rhea Radio. You know, it rolls off the tongue a little bit better. Thank so those you. are some things. If you're trying to come up with a name that has some staying power and and can grab attention and stay with people, those are just some suggestions. Use a business name generator. Help you come up with it. Alliteration, colors, make it sticky. There so you go. That is today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. What was that weird noise? <laughs> Sorry, that was <laughs> so is that did you use that to come up with the Red Ladder Group? I did. I I used. Uh, I remember Property Ladder was something that I really liked. That it was a you know kind of an HGTV show from back in the you know late or uh, early two thousands. Okay. Shut up, Ted. <laughs> and uh, so I incorporated that, and then uh, colors. So I played around with like colors a lot uh, because I did study that from a marketing perspective. What's sticky. And then, yeah, so that came into it. Property solutions kind of describes, okay, it has to deal with properties. We solve problems. There you go. Um, Red ladder home buyers would probably be a little bit more descriptive about what we actually do. But, hey, you know, it's it's a little late now. But, yeah, the whole whole name thing I think is really useful when you have a successful business and then you can rebrand it into that. So that's another, you know, another tip. Well, without any further ado, let's get into part one of this two-part series with Stephen Ward. Steven, tell me, what was the first moment that you ever thought that real estate was something for you? Uh, so I previously was not in the real estate industry. Uh, I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, my prior background um, was the fitness industry. I was in personal training and management, a couple different companies. Like man, wait, personal training, like you manage gyms? Is that what you mean? So I was, uh, I was doing personal training and some kind of assistant kind of management sales and different aspects. And uh, you know, kind of a, a higher level salesman in, in personal training. And uh, one of my clients happened to be a residential real estate professional, pretty successful one. And uh, anybody you'd want to shout out? Yeah, of course. I, I got to say he's uh, he's taught me a lot that I've known just about dealing with people and just general sales, like, you know, practice. Uh, his name is Mike Pettit. 
Okay. Um, so I actually asked for a, a sales position at his team, which was uh, at Prudential Ambassador in early 2013, uh, formerly, you know, so Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Ambassador, formerly known as Prudential. So Mike Pettit uh, runs the Metro Pros and uh, yeah, super grateful that, you know, honestly, I kind of was surprised he didn't invite me on, but uh, I did ask for it and he said yes. And it was, it was a good opportunity, kind of sink or swim kind of thing, you know, high commission split payout, no, really virtually no leads and, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward, um, you know, uh, mentorship. And this is a traditional real estate that you were doing at the time? Uh, yeah. So single family homes, uh, mostly existing. And, you know, I, was, I popped right into a market where it was, you know, it was a seller's market. There was, there, there were challenges, you know, but they weren't the challenges maybe you saw in 2009, 2011. But it was, so you never thought about real estate prior to this? No, I mean, family or nothing. Uh, exactly. Like, so I family background, I'm like a 80 plus cousins on my dad's side, you know, plenty of cousins on my mom's. I, I don't know of anybody that 80 sells cousins. So my, my God, they're multiplying like gremlins. <laughs> like my, my, my family on my side is like slowly dying off. It's like me and my sister and my mom and my dad. <laughs> and my wife's family is kind of like what it sounds like yours is. She has 10,000 cousins. My, my, but, da- my dad's side of the family is, uh, he was one of 12. Yeah, and then each one of them uh, had like probably three to five kids. One of twelve, yeah, you had twelve or eleven brothers and sisters. Yep. Good lord, Can you imagine? Wow. No. Yeah. What size of house was that? Uh, you know, they literally lived in the house that, uh, to my knowledge, was in North Omaha, and it had dirt floor, and I think it was like a two bedroom home. Uh, this sounds made there's, up. There's 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 picture <laughs> there's old pictures and videos from back then, and they're, they're just running around in dirt floors. It's pretty crazy to watch. Wow. <laughs> wow. Huh. Times, okay. have cha- times have changed. You know? Times have generational. Changed. Now he has Ste- LVP. Steven's going to have that many kids. Um, he said, "It's an aspiration." <laughs> Go forth and multiply. Uh, no, that's cool. So, personal training. Uh, if you don't mind, we'll uh, talk about how, how did you get into that originally. So, you were uh, into going to the gym, fitness, and whatever, and then uh, just decided to share your knowledge yeah. and make uh, make some money off of it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of grew up kind of more as a, as an athlete. Like, I kind of I knew what to push it in sports and didn't excel as much in the classroom and stuff, stuff of that nature. And I was in special reading class, I think for the first couple of years of elementary school. I mean, it was just like, you know, I, I, I think I went to kindergarten, not knowing my ABCs, you know, I mean, it was just, so I was, I was, uh, always kind of just excelled in sports, but, uh, I aspired to be like, you know, possibly dentist, dentistry, DA, you know, going the DAT route, um, going to, going to college, I went to Nebraska Lincoln for two years and, uh, so I was never really like trying to go towards fitness. It's just that I already had like athletic background from sports and things of that nature. And uh, I considered actually joining the military. And that was in about, uh, I would say, 2000, 2009. Uh, ended, up, ended up not doing it, you know. Uh, and one of, my, one of my friends who I was actually considering joining the military with, not surprising, he also did not um, enlist. But we I, I shadowed him at his, at his gym and – um, it seemed really interesting and I, I thought, I mean, I thought it was great and, um, you know, it looked like you could make some money and help people. And so I, I just, I basically started applying different places, um, and got into, I went to 24 hour fitness. That was my first kind of like legitimate, you know, job, which was straight to, you know, it was, it was technically W2, but it was, it was all commission based. There's, there's no salary. I mean, you barely got paid for training, um, but it was good. It was good to finally get an opportunity because I, you know, I tried to get a job at like Geek Squad, Best Buy, PayPal. You know, I just they just didn't really like me. I guess. 
Did you, did you really want to drive around a vehicle that said you know Geek Squad on the side of it? You know, I, I actually, uh, <laughs> you know, contrary to the fact that like you know I wasn't like skilled in math, maybe some things, you know, not really into literature. I I could build computers and understood software quite a bit. I could I could fix things, you know, uh, you know, just do silly stuff like 15 years ago that for some reason I was putting my attention on that was related to computer gaming and stuff. So, I mean, re- I mean, realistically, where you were at 15 years ago, I mean, he's not even, Owen's not even that now. So, I mean, maybe you can teach him something. Ouch. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> so, you, um, th- so this is interesting because I, I wouldn't have pegged you as someone who didn't do well in school. Not that that means anything in the grand scheme of things with business, but you're a very uh, cerebral guy and like, you know, you you have put a lot of thought into a lot of different things, so that that's kind of surprising to me. Now, before we and before we started recording, we were talking about you know books and different forms of media, and you mentioned you're not a big book guy, but you're very knowledgeable about a ton of things. Where do you get your information? Like, what? How do you consume your your you know media? Yeah, and, and great great question. I, I and just to be clear, I mean, I I see significant value in book reading and um I, you know it's, it's something that i could i could potentially see myself you know reading a book or two you know down the road maybe but, writing one <laughs> yeah and i i certainly don't want to say that like uh you know like I, I haven't read stuff along the way to to you know gain some knowledge but to answer a direct question um i, I source most uh so I, I don't know why this happened but as i got into real estate and like you know i went from residential real estate to commercial real estate, I, I got really deep into the numbers. And even before commercial real estate, I was, I was very interested in the appraisal process, you know, Fannie Freddie, you know, guidelines, uh, sale comparisons, you know, basic calculations to kind of like figure out what something's worth. So I, I became analytical within real estate and, you know, pretty basic numbers and it's not, it's not difficult math by any means. Um, but from a, like a, like an education standpoint or like literature, I, I do, I, you know, I'm on Barron's and Bloomberg and CNBC and, you know, I'm, I'm, I am ingesting some, you know, MSM yeah, finance sure. and real estate media. Uh, but a, a lot of what I actually learn is actually uh, directed from uh, my, my investors and my experience. And I have a genuine curiosity um, on, you know, supply demand analytics and sale comparisons and comparable rents and those things i feel like are very important to understand if you if you really want to make some good projections on you know future cash flows now can you talk about the transition from residential to commercial why like what did you enjoy and not enjoy about being a residential real estate agent and then why switch to commercial maybe talk about that yeah certainly so i was uh so I don't know. I was, I was with Metro Pros from 2013 to uh, I believe it was 2016. Extremely fortunate for the ride. Um, kind of got to a point where, you know, I was selling a good amount of homes. Um, but, you know, for the same reason that I wanted to take a deep dive into commercial is why I ended up, you know, switching out and, and starting my own real estate group, which is which is known as Exceptional Properties Group. That was that was in 2016. So I Started my own group. I, I got a, you know, it's grateful to get a corner office at Berkshire, top floor. It was just cool. It was, it was like, you know, I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I guess even just kind of up the ante a little bit, trim some overhead on, you know, like commission splits, and and eventually, really, the aspiration for starting my own team was 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 truly actually to start my own brokerage. But I wasn't quite ready for it, and I needed a little bit of, um, 
you know, I was, I was pretty independent, but I, I needed a, an extra level of independence. By, and that's what happened when I started my independent team within Berkshire. So, um, you know, it, 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 the, the, there's being a residential real estate agent comes with, um, you know, what I like to call uh, things in, in life that really aren't just worth sacrificing. Um, so, you know, that's from my Sundays are pretty important, you know, relaxation, church, um, not not wanting to rush from church to, to get to an open house and set signs. Like I, I just hated setting signs. Um, it's just something I just, like I said, I just really didn't like it. I didn't really like meeting people at open houses. I, I kind of feel like I've become kind of more of an introvert, introvert over the years as I, you know, like built spreadsheets and deal with, you know, high net worth individuals that, you know, are very short and, you know, their attorneys that are just always constantly, you know, like, I mean, they're just, they're difficult. So you kind of, you kind of. Somebody not buying a house because of the paint color. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you get, you get to a point where like, you don't want to be a, a home stager. You don't want to give up, sacrifice your Sundays and you certainly don't want to, you know, work late nights on the, on the weekdays. At least I didn't. So those were, those were motivators. Um, and I, I, I was doing really well. I'm selling, I mean, I thought I was doing well, 30 to 45 homes. Um, but it felt, there certainly felt like it was plateauing. You know, I, I did mostly like the, my focus was actually off market, um, dual representation transactions, which is, which is kind of unique for a residential agent. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, like that's what I enjoyed. And I, I realized that, um, the investment sales piece, I didn't really realize this until about 2017 was something that just, uh, appealed to me way more than, you know, selling a four bedroom, three bath. Well, you, you and I have a lot of similarities there because one of the things I cannot stand about doing residential real estate is the nights and weekends, mainly because that's my family time. And so I've worked a deal out um, with another agent on my team, actually, which is my mom, and she covers my weekends and nights, and then I, I, I handle the days. And then, I, and then I, I split the transactions so I don't have to be working all those extra hours awesome. because I cannot stand that part. Yep. But that's but what I was laughingly saying that. But I mean, literally, like the, when you do traditional real estate, it could be a color of a room and that's not why they're not buying it. And when you do investment real estate, you know, 90% of the clients I work with never even enter the house, and, nor have even been in Omaha. This is a broad, <laughs> broad generalization, but when you have residential customers, you're dealing with a lot of emotions. And when you're on the commercial side, it's more logic or logic and numbers, numbers versus yeah. the emotional decisions that are involved. That's a generalization. I know there's there's exceptions. No, it's accurate. on both sides. But um, it so in your first year switching from residential to commercial, how did that go? Was it rough? Was it a pretty easy transition? Did you have a good you know guide through that process? Like, what advice might you give to someone that's looking at this through the lens that you were back then? It was great because I, I, I started doing property management, um, within like my first year, I started my own team and quickly, um, the type of business that I was doing kind of became unpopular at Berkshire because I was doing commercial residential and then property management, which is kind of almost like frowned upon, um, at, at, a, at that residential firm. So, you know, in reality, uh, it was great because it really kickstarted the uh, the 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 desire to 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 move to move out and start my own independent company. And uh, what happened was I, I sold a single family home, probably like 2015 or 16, something of that nature. And you know the transaction I think went overall well. Um, I owned a condo, um, and it just so happens one of the board members of the association owned a condo that 
her son lived at and we actually like didn't really get along very well and i i mean it's bizarre but for some reason her husband who we we just you know shared some common beliefs you know economically you know just some, some stuff we we kind of stayed in touch and he actually referred someone that he knew and these people the the person i knew on the board of the colorado they live in colorado okay they referred to someone else in colorado to me and they were a, a multifamily investor well it's gonna sound a little bizarre but i was referred to someone um so the person that like i sold the condo to and then they were on the board they referred me to um like a friend and then that friend who i've never met referred someone to me pretty interesting um so obviously this the trust and this resource you know was pretty strong there and, and then and then i started selling apartment buildings for that friend. Then the same guy referred another one. And then we finally connected and then they referred more people to me. And so I, I got immersed in a multifamily kind of with almost just accepting one assignment that was referred to me. And uh, I kind of, kind of fell in love with it. And this is, was this in 2017? Yeah. So that's when the apartment buildings were still regu regularly available and you could get a, you know, a decent price on them. Right. You know, actually I, the, uh, yeah, decent price in retrospect with, you know, rents and obviously, you know, rates, rates have changed somewhat. The, uh, just a little bit, just a little bit, the, uh, the, but, but really that kind of off market approach where I was go, I was going door to door and I was trying to do off like sales of real estate properties. I was really pursuing deals where I was like, you know, I'd hit a golf course and all the West facing ranches that, you know, our own walkouts and, you know, they, I, I would, I would go canvas certain subdivisions and developments with, for homes, for buyers. And I'd successfully acquire a seller that would be interested And in. the conversion rate was pretty high. So in multifamily, I was doing, it's obviously, you know, not going to uh register agents, offices or the principal owners, you know, out of state location to solicit, but I was, I was doing a similar type of solicitation, direct solicitation for an off market opportunities. And, and most of the, uh, most of the transactions my firm practices today are off market and, and anything that I really am kind of a principal listing agent or, you know, I, I, it's nearly almost always off market 90 plus percent of the time. Now you have an interesting approach to how you've kind of built out your business. You've got uh, you have had at one point you had a couple of family members that you have hired, including your father, right, and your brother. Could you talk maybe about what happened to you know what was your first hire? So you started your own firm, right? You're an exceptional properties group. You start out. You are busy. It sounds like maybe talk us through the beginning stages of that. So, did you acquire office space, or you're working out of your own basement, or how did that look? Yeah, absolutely. So, actually, it was it was kind of cool. So, something that I kind of you know I just didn't really going back a few years. It feels like it was a long time ago. But my dad was uh, my dad always told me that if he could do it over again, he would have gotten into real estate. I mean, he told me that when I was in junior high, high school, it never really like resonated with me. I just kind of was like, dad, I mean, what would you, what would you have done? You know? And he, he, when he says he would have been a real estate agent and that, that kind of actually, um, I mean, my dad and I could love, love my dad dearly, but like, I'm not a, and what, what, what how old are you that, or what year was this? Uh, this is probably like 2000, um, you know, four, 2007. Oh, way in the yeah, yeah. So that was the seed. Well, you know, what's funny is like my dad and I've never really big in like fishing, like hunting. He's got, he's got six kids, right? I'm, I was, I, I was never, we never really had just a ton of common things that we would, but I, but I, 
or much I, solo time to spend. You re- right? Truly, truly, I mean, that, yeah. That's, that, that would be. Can you imagine? I have two. I, like, yeah. It's hard to split time evenly between the two. I can't imagine six. So you get sixteen percent of his time. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, if he's splitting it evenly, you get sixteen percent of it. It's true. I mean, one of the motivators for like literally getting into real estate or something that like I think was just kind of like, you know, just was had a kind of backseat, but I kind of was thinking about it was like. It, w- it wasn't like quite like Mufasa, like remember, okay? <laughs> but it was like, if I had to do it over again, I would have gotten real estate. And when I, I, I remember my dad being pretty, he was, he was pretty jazzed when I told him I was getting to real estate. And by the time I, when I was, when I was starting my own team, I, he had already known that I was looking to start my brokerage. And the second I made it official to spin off and start the EPG, I had the logo. My dad was like, he was like, he applied for the license exam. So he was my first. He, my dad with my dude. That is so cool, man. Like that. That is. I I don't know. Like I I'm just picturing that in my own life. That would be very satisfying. I think to have that come full circle like that was something he mentioned to you years and years ago, and you end up putting into practice. And then he actually got to achieve something that he said he would always, if he could go back, he would do again. You know, or he he would he would do. And you made it happen. Like that's I mean, so cool. I mean, who, do, who does that? I mean, that that doesn't happen. What's funny is like I don't really have these conversations very often, or even think about this <laughs> for this nature. But like I just, it just, it just literally dawned on me that the reason that I selected a corner office that with floor to ceiling windows is because I was so depressed going to my dad's office of thirty years that had no windows. And I mean, it was like a industrial flex building with like I mean, it had like almost no windows, and it was just, it was just awful and i remember um when i was looking at office space like I, I just wanted to i wanted to blow my dad's mind so i i went totally above my means which is you know still do this <laughs> still do this time time to time but we we got this pretty gnarly build out it was like i mean it's like 20 foot ceilings you know exposed mechanicals and you know structural framing of the roof and it, i mean it was it was it was sweet and my, my dad just I mean, just loved it so i knew he'd love to come there and honestly like i knew my dad was good on the phone um but I didn't. I didn't know like we were gonna kind of blossom like we did. Um, and to be completely candid, like uh, you know, when you, it's it's kind of funny. Like I, I didn't really. Like I knew my. I knew I wanted to always impress my dad. You know, it's just sure. It's it, inherent. I yeah. think, with any, with any kid. Yeah. One one time I was sitting down with the drug counselor, and he he was he was asking all these deep questions, and somehow he ventured down the path of just like. Sounded like you kind of were insecure because you were always trying to impress your dad, you know? Like I, I've said, I've talked to like, you know, I've just, you know, I've just growing up, you realize like you, you don't really know what really drove you and what your purpose was until you kind of sometimes talk about it. And yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to make my dad happy. I wanted to, I wanted my dad to go work somewhere where he was happy. I also wanted to see, um, you know, him make more money and, uh, you know, it turned out to work out really well because we both were able to do pretty well. Now, what line of work was he in before before you ended up hiring him? Before you ask that question, we can't glaze over the fact that you just said drug counselor. Like, is there a story there that you you're know, glazing over? Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a time uh, in my life where I just it's probably it's probably because I was selling all those damn homes to <laughs> super annoying people. But uh, no, I was there was a, there was a period in my life where I was just you know in my early twenties and uh, you know I was you know you're you're making pretty good money and you know you. You're getting the the Porsche and the Range Rover, and you're you're maxing out on your DTA qualification for a house, and you're, you're just spending like you're just having a great time. And you, you're partying, you know. And if and uh, 
you know, it doesn't take much. You're in a relationship where it's not the best and you find yourself, uh, you know, sometimes dibbling and dabbling a little bit more to kind of just weed out maybe the relationship stuff and then maybe just the, um, you know, the pressures of life where, you know, you're really just becoming a man. So, uh, yeah, there was a time where like, you know, I, I, I could, I saw myself, you know, maybe just partying a little bit too much and, uh, something told me I should, I should try to learn a little bit more about myself and, um, you know, take better care of myself. And it's been a, you know, I would say I'm very blessed today. Was it something that, that you had to go through or to become the man that you are now? So I would say, uh, I'm just grateful for my shortcomings. Yeah. Current, current shortcomings as well. I'm, I'm grateful for past trials. Um, cause I, I think, I think, uh, what I've known just, you know, I'm almost 30, you know, I'm 33, almost 34. Like, I mean, I'm at a point in my life where, you know, sometimes when you have pressure and you're working hard and your mind's busy, you, uh, yeah, you have purpose and you, you stay busy and your, your hands aren't idle. You're maybe less likely to, uh, you know, do stupid shit. Um, but I would say like when you, like those experiences, um, pushing a little bit too hard, like it's helped make me who I am today. And I've learned a lot. Uh, and I made, I made, I've made plenty of mistakes, not so much hurting others, but, uh, you know, I mean, just self-destructive behavior or, or, um, you know, not, not thinking about future consequences. So I'm, I'm, I'm honest, I can't say I'm like happy for, stupid decisions, but I'm, I'm really grateful for the character that's been built over time. And I, I feel like I have a lot of growth to do as well. Well, I've always been amazed because we've interviewed some truly amazing people. Um, Dan Freeman, Megan Ahern, Ron Kendall, as of recently that have gone through, you know, not what you've gone through 10 times worse, you know, going through some major drug addictions and rehabs and stuff. But coming out of it, being a better person, giving back to the community. But they, they're redefining who they are. Uh, they're sometimes finding different spouses, uh, moving on, making uh, better relationships with their their spouse, their new spouses, their kids, yeah. and and becoming bigger than they could ever imagine. One thing I, I've always said personally, and I don't know if this is your case, but just people in my life growing up, I always noticed that some people had addictive personalities. And... The people that were maybe addicted to a drug could also be addicted to work or working out or whatever it is. It, it's an addictive personality. It isn't necessarily the drug. And right. the drug can be whatever it is. You know, you can be a workaholic. John Hoich mentioned that he was his, he was, he, his he drug self, choice self was proclaimed that he was really messed up in the head. I'm using uh, kind words here. And he said that um, he, his drug was working 80 to 100 hours a week and pushing his family away because of it. Right. And he said, good or bad, that's where I'm at. But I got over that addiction now. Yeah. Kind of found myself. And then I'll re re remake my relationship. I, I truly think my point here is I truly think that a an addict, not saying that you're an addict, but an addict can uh, really get addicted to something and really latch on to something like real estate. Because it is a high when you buy when you buy properties. I know that isn't your main focus. But when you buy properties, that, that's a drug. It's a fix that you're continuously getting, right? And if you're if you have that addictive personality and you're and you're determined to get in this, you can really prosper and put that addiction to work. I I think that's spot on and and fascinating that you uh, mentioned that because like I I feel that same way. Like if you have someone that is, very, 
I, I don't know. Like that that was very very uh, good. I what, agree. what you just said there. I, agree. Uh, I, I and I would agree with you. You see a lot of people that are very successful in life, and a lot of them point back to stories like they had problems early on with with either addiction or kind of going down some dark paths that uh, maybe were fun and and rewarding at the time, but in hindsight are bad. Uh, no, that's yeah. They're they're I like that. That's good stuff, Ted. Um, so. Let's get back to your dad. What, what what was he doing before you ended up bringing him on board? So he worked for his brother, actually, family business. Um, what know. what was the gig uh, though? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, they sold uh, so central monitoring systems, security systems, like the physical hardware, the the you know the central monitoring um, agreements, and then also they had some uh, home theater systems, television, audio. Um, central control type stuff, central vac systems. Um, yeah, you get along great with my dad. That, that's his. Big oh, focus. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, this stuff just. I'll just be honest. It was like it was just so uninteresting to me. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I think my dad geeks out over that stuff. So, so, like our dads, we should just introduce them, have them, give them, have a drink sometime. And, yeah, and they can talk about their home stereo systems. So, like my my dad, I could my dad's passion and purpose was communicating with people. And uh, just generally, like, I think he was happy to get home. But like, he he was he's you know just he was a good salesman. Um, but what, what but I don't what I don't think he, like sound environment or somewhere. I, I don't think he lo- I don't think he like loved the products necessarily. Where do you work at? He uh, so uh, company's been since dispositioned, and it was a there was a acquisition that occurred, which pretty much terminated the existing name of this company. But it was called American Electronics. Okay, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's now known as something else. Okay. I was just wondering. Yeah. Well, you know, funny thing that you mentioned your dad because I, I, in some ways I have a story because like my mom worked in the building industry for 30 years and it got to a point where, you know, I, I went up to her. I'm like, I'm like, you're worth so much more than what you're putting into this. And I just really felt like, you know, she, she had retirement going and she, you know, she, she would have had a great life, but it was or a good life, but it wasn't a great life. You know what I mean? So I, I approached her two years ago, maybe three years ago, actually, I started the conversation. And I'm like, I'm like, you should really get real estate. I mean, she knew every single builder in the city, literally. She was a president of the Metromont Builders Association Women's Council for a couple of years. And she knew blueprints and she was a saleswoman full wow. through. And I'm like, and but she was really she she worked literally eighty plus hours a week. Some days she went in at three in the morning, two in the morning, just to get her jobs wow. caught up. And then she was working all weekends when she necessarily didn't have to work on weekends. And uh, and I was like, you really got to get out of this grind and and truly get into something that you you have passion for, but also start building your wealth, like your personal wealth. So, I'm I'm curious about something if you if you don't mind. Um, was was she driven to impress and and she had maybe that fear motivation of like i want to do so good they can't ignore me or or like i want to go above and beyond um because of past issues or or was it that she was just such a high achiever and you saw that in her and maybe you're like hey have you thought about this because i would i'm just imagining coming to my mom and and saying you could do I would. I don't want to say better, but I mean, is that kind of how the conversation went? You were like, you could do better than this. I couldn't imagine I, going to my mom. That'd be weird. Well, like, it, I, I did do that because uh, I, I, I truly, when I saw her do what she did, uh, did. Uh, I mean, she made everybody happy. She never messed up an order. You know, she, you know, she's a perfectionist, and she, she took her reputation to full heart. 
And I saw I saw that and being into real estate, you know, well now seven years and I mean not forever long, but uh, I knew that what it takes to be a good realtor, uh, it's communication, it's dedication, it's availability, right? And you got to have a passion for it. And the fact that she's been in that building industry so long and she knew so much bet more than the average person, I'm like you'd be a great new construction, totally. you know, salesperson. Anyway, so we had those conversations a few times and she's like, you know what? I'm going to start doing my classes. And I was like three years ago. And so she spent, you know, the next six plus months doing classes. And then all of a sudden she got a real estate license. She jumped on the team and uh, she was really like hard on herself. Like literally, I, I think the first six months she closed 12 deals while still working 80 to 100 hours at her first job. Yeah. And just doing nights what? and weekends. Yeah. Again? Nights and Wow. And, and wow. Then, and then... Uh, um, it was just, uh, just to kind of recap it, and we'll get back to this. I'm sorry for taking this off topic here. But then it was just in the last um, uh, six or last uh, three months, actually, she went, she left her job. She was with uh, Millard Lumber, left her job there and uh, came on to uh, my real estate team full time. Uh, since then, she's the number one agent, I think, every month since she's, uh, since she's left in units. And uh, and I think just I think she had six deals for a million dollars just in the last thirty days. You guys have both hired Amazing. your parents. This is super weird. But that's funny. Like what, what? I've never so. been in the same room with with two people well, that have hired their parents. They're for contracted anything. employees. We're not hiring them. One, you one know business. what I mean. One, one you question. You know what I mean. Have you ever hired your wife? Um, nope. I'm. I'm. I. That's that's ultimately my goal. No. Uh, so I, I've done that. So I, I would I would say the. Greatest sale ever. It was, you know, was was the uh, coercion. The co- I coerced. I, I coerced a Lyft driver, who who now is my wife, is giving me two children. You know, a random Lyft driver. Uh, you, uh, you, wait, wait. You met your wife, and she was a Lyft driver. Is that I what did you not said? know this. So I, I was, you know, I was possibly under the influence of alcohol, and you know, I was <laughs> at an under nine girl club. But the reality is, is this is. Uh, she she picked me up in a, she picked me up in a lift and I told her I sold property um you know and she was dropping me off at a you know my house and you know I just did this whole spiel. I was and I was obviously flexing trying to impress her and uh yeah so I, I I convinced her that she'd be you know she'd be a great real estate agent and uh, I kind of like went along with this like like landscape I painted of her like being this like uh, this like hot African chick that like sells properties to farmers in nebraska like all these like stereotypes that she had i kind of went along with it and then i kind of like massaged the idea and you know i mean to be completely honest my intentions were not just to work with her but uh the uh, <laughs> you don't say yeah right? i mean it's just like i don't know like it, it, so that that was like so my my wife was my uh she was a second agent at my firm, you know. So. Bravo. Did you? So she went to drop you off, and you're like, "Hang on, hang on, I have some glow sticks." Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm gonna like, do a TikTok dance real quick. Is that cool? I you mean, got time? it was just, it was, it was, it was fascinating. It was kind of like, so her her mom had a real estate background, very successful, own owns, you know, hundreds of multi units in West Africa, and has uh, single family homes and done new developments in Greater Paris area, of France. And wow. So she she her actually. Can we get her on the podcast? <laughs> Yeah, what are you doing here? Let's phone her in. So I mean, like, she kind of. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of lot to that. Does she speak English? 
Her English is, is, is pretty good. I mean, Actually, that would be a great podcast. I'd love to get an international speaker. That'd be amazing. So she's, we set that she up speaks us? four languages fluently, and she speaks like another two oh. languages, kind of just, you know, like almost maybe like one of us would speak Spanish, like, you know, moderate. Do you want to be part of that when we do that? I mean, of, of course. I mean, we'll get the nanny three, lined up. Three-way with a Zoom. Dude, I don't know, man. I can barely understand Den less. <laughs> he speaks English. <laughs> Uh, no, but I, 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 there's a wraparound on the family thing, you know, like one. that's definitely. We've it. been really looking to expand our African audience. So. <laughs> that's right. So this is really cool, man. So you you hired your dad. You also hired your brother. You brought him on to um, help you with property management, right? Right, right. So, and, and for the record, she she's actually American as of the. 21st of October. Hey, congratulations. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Hey, so just so you know, uh, I always thought that that the business you're in was your dad's business. Yeah, I, because did, I we, didn't understand what, like you mentioned that to me and I'm like, no. So like, I thought, no, I just thought I thought it was your dad's business. I thought you were coming in, you're taking the company over and that's awesome. So in my dad's speech at our wedding, uh, he, he said something to the effect of, uh, uh, Stephen always tells people his principles, his investors, anybody he works with that, uh, you know, I'm his partner. You know, he's, he's referring to me, like my dad's my yeah. partner, right? And uh, and uh, he he basically said something like, "That's that's because he loves me, and because you know, like I'm his dad." Like, but 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 really, Stephen's the you know, and and the, the, my kind of response, internal response to that, is I was like, you know, because I I just push push against that. My my dad is uh, epic on uh like really laying foundation for our company he, he's he's uh you know one day he could be general counsel uh you know another day he, he could be like uh steven uh you know like like maybe we need to talking oh oh yeah. he's talking about you okay. yeah he's he's he, he's uh you know he I, I need the old man everyone he's very very much retired uh he he's he doesn't work as much as you know of course selfishly want him to but he uh it's it's he's extremely valuable and i mean especially the early days of starting the real estate firm so exceptional properties group we spun off uh in 2018 october 2018 and actually started it out of my previous home this large i literally bought a house that had a 1936 house 85 edition large 85 edition on the back was essentially the purpose was going to be it was going to be a real estate office and that's that's where it started and and my dad i mean he he made some uh, i had a i had a business meeting last night uh it was, well, it was a cocktail meeting but it's it business uh my dad i mean that guy I met with it became a friend and it's contributed to multiple deals refer i mean he's he's done extremely well for us he they he owns like 900 units in my metro that gentleman I wouldn't know him if it wasn't for my dad calling him. Um, Chris Pomerleau, like Chris Pomerleau, Colin Schwartz, uh, their group, you know, uh, Levin Wealth, formerly known as Park Ave. I mean, they've been extremely instrumental in our growth yeah. episode, and success. Episode 10 and episode 50, if you want to reference those episodes, just so you know. My dad connected with Chris on the phone. Uh, I mean, I, I can think of probably our like top 50% largest transactions over the last three years, and it's a good chance my dad had a play. That's awesome. Yep. Well, I mean, you're always highly respected when it comes to the meetups. I, I know you don't come to my meetup as often. You go to more of uh, Colin Owens meetup, but that's cool. And, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, the respect is seen there. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obvious around you that you, you have a great reputation in the groups and the people that you're around. And, and it's just by doing good business for all these years. And obviously you provide a good product too. 
So can you can you tell us a little bit more about the product that you do offer? And yeah. can you give us a little background of where you feel the uh, the the commercial side is right now with the market? Yeah. So uh, our firm, uh, we have three primary divisions uh, made up of brokerage, which is, encompasses commercial property sales, residential sales, um, primarily commercial, and uh, then the uh, property management division. So we we do. Um, We'll do kind of we'll do local third party property management. You know we have some properties are you know that I own as well, but for, for the most part, it's vast majority of it's third party, um, mostly multifamily, single family, so re- residential type housing and some commercial. You know uh, office industrial as well. Uh, the property management division we also do some consulting on like an asset management base uh, stabilization. So. Someone that owns properties in other states, you know, we didn't sell it to them or, you know, something of that nature. We we do provide consulting. We can kind of help analyze stuff for them. And then project management, uh, very closely associated with property management, um, mostly, you know, that local third part. Like, you know, we're doing construction on rehab, single family homes, um, apartment units, you know, to really support the, the property management side of things. Um so, uh, yeah, and most of my attention, uh, gosh, I mean, from – so family members being in the business. Uh, in, in May, my my little brother who um, pretty much like helped me run property management and project management, um, he, he, he uh, purchased a home, got engaged, moved to Kansas City area. Uh, so, you know, he relocated. So I was uh, – very much immersed back into kind of the things that I taught him and um, finding out where we could be more efficient. And uh, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's been good, but it, it took away um, my attention on the brokerage side of things. So uh, I, I'm, I'm now, it's not that I wasn't selling, you know, those few months, but I was not really like, uh, you know, grinding for sales. Is the focus more in the property management or the sales? Which one pays better for you? So, I mean, as of September, I'm going to immersed back into brokerage and and i feel like we're we're running lean all cylinders um have some good good players you know put in place to kind of support our local business you know the, those two divisions i had referenced before property management and project management and uh so I, i'm very much um um t- tied my attention and time is is very much tied to um brokerage sales and and uh in a, on a regional basis so um i'm licensed and uh so as a broker i'm licensed independently and uh, so Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Kansas, um, Florida. I have also I hate to see your renewal, your renewal hours. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's actually. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Wow. Yeah, that would be a nightmare. So it's it's. Uh, How many hours do you have to do every year in classes? I mean, seriously, it's got to be a nightmare. You know, believe it or not, kind of like uh, how you have the reciprocal license. You can you, your experience as a broker in states, and then they only maybe require you to take a state portion, maybe prove your experience, um, prove that you, you know, whatever you're not in trouble in these other states. It's it's pretty straightforward. So I don't really like need a lot of pre-licensed education and post-licensed education. It's actually like, to, I mean, if you're experienced and like you're, you know, you're, you're like you, most of it's going to be your continuing education, like you asked about, but it carries over from other States that'll be applicable for the same requirements. Mm. And they, but it is, it is kind of funny because they, they, they're some States, you know, require they don't, they don't allow dual agencies, you know, so, some it's a transaction broker is kind of where the buck stops. So you can't have any fiduciary on both sides, which I mean, it's pretty much the, can't really guarantee loyalty re- irrespective of the a bill a state's real estate act that allows for dual agency. Um, but yeah, some states are you know renewal process is three years, and 
some is it's extremely laxed and it's very serious. Like, you know, believe it or not, out of all the states, uh, and I also have some pending licenses is, that are inactive. Is Iowa the worst? You know, it's, that was my that was my next sentence. Iowa was by far. <laughs> I, I wanted to know. <laughs> I, Iowa was by far the hardest broker exam. When I say hard, I mean like um, – so these tests, I mean, they're generally pretty easy if you like – you care about like laws and the you know, state portion. I usually don't have to take the national portion, but but it's Iowa specifically, um, the the like the the deck of questions is massive, and the algorithm that determines what questions you're asked on a a second try, third is it's like the the questions. It's not that like the order of answers changes. Like 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 almost all of the questions are different. And, and like they will just like run off like into random like license law that's just like totally you didn't even you would have had to like literally like read this the whole act to figure in out. 1929 in Delaware <laughs> there was a case where there was a horse drawn carriage that ran into a hotel. What happened? <laughs> Is that kind of what it's like? There's like this I mean, ar- arcane I mean, like, law like you have to remember. Well, Jer- Jerry Schlickman is mul- is has multiple state brokerage license, yeah. and she was telling me that I was like the hardest one when it comes to testing huh. hours and like I remember numerous times she had to go like Des Moines or something like that just to go do sit in classes because maybe she missed a a time frame so let me offer some perspective i took it in 2020 and you know you had you had to wear a mask uh you know i i I just like very clearly recall two factors that were annoying in addition to having to wear the mask uh the instructor was just like generally just not nice and kind so if you moved your mask at all or like you admit an adjustment or i mean like like literally she would like write in a magic marker on a piece of paper and be like one more time and you're out or like i've and never dealt with that she, the she, had, a, no, I would, she had a ruler <laughs> that she came around smacked her hands no, she, she was genuinely not nice and this like is catholic school uh back in the day man. i, I couldn't i couldn't believe it she, and, and what's funny is like when i when I, I saw this bear i took it like three times but like the third time i for some reason she was gone maybe i enough people left bad reviews feedback through the testing center that like you know she's she's gone or i think she said she was retiring or something but i'm like i just don't think anybody likes it but uh god bless her and uh you know glad to have iowa the way and iowa is a it's a great state you know i mean it's i'm super grateful to be licensed there and i mean they they just they have they have a i think they divvy out a harder version of the test for nebraska residents done done (laughs) so I remember the first time I ever heard your name, and I don't know that I've ever told you this story. Oh man, what context was so, that in? <laughs> in I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna ballpark this. We know a, a couple of the same guys, uh, Paul Lena and uh, Dave Merkley. Okay, so this ringing a bell for oh, you. Yeah. So I think it was probably. I don't. The very first multifamily property I ever bought was from Paul, and I don't think he was partnered with Dave at the time. But they had they had some multifamily properties together. Very knowledgeable dudes. They've been an investor like they're old school guys, right? Yep. And they had this property uh, that I ended up buying that was a fourplex. So it was my very first deal. I was you know skittish and didn't know what I was doing and whatever. And then they tried to sell me a fifteen unit deal that they had in Bellevue. Right. That's where you come in to the story. And they offered it to me at 600,000, which at the time, you know, so that's 40 grand a door. So do the math for you listeners out there. This is a property in really good shape. They take good care of it. They're good operators. And I kind of had a mini like 
internal panic attack that I couldn't, I wanted to do it really bad, but I was like, I can't, I don't know how I didn't have any partners. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. So I pass on the deal. They're like, that's cool. Whatever. No big deal. A few, and I don't remember when this was, I'm going to say roughly 2018. Um, I hear through my friend, Paul, that you sold that property for $900,000. Do you remember this? Yeah. That, (laughs) and I was like, what? No way. That my first reaction was like, yeah, right. No way. Like, what idiot paid that? And that that was honestly what was going through my mind. I'm like, that's stupid because I was con- really conservatively underwriting. I'm like, no way. I'm paying fifty grand a door. That's insane. And here we are, you know, yeah, where we are now. But uh, that's the very first time that I ever heard your name. And I'm like, who is this guy? Like, they're like, oh yeah, this guy. He brought a buyer, and it was off market, and he had nine hundred thousand dollar buyer, and they actually closed. And I'm like. What the hell? Really? There's that? And it was, was it an out of town buyer? Like yep. out of market? Exactly. So I wanted to bring this up because that was kind of my first uh, entree into the world of Stephen Ward. And then, you know, fast forward a, a couple of years and, you know, you and I have been working together. Uh, manage, you've managed some of my properties. You've brought me a couple of deals that I've ended up buying. And you have a knack. You have a a niche, I would say, for carving out deals where there aren't deals. And you underwrite them in a way that no one else that's in the commercial brokerage space has ever brought to me. Normally, when I see a deal, it's like a quick email, like, hey, here's this deal, blah, blah, blah. blah, And it's just your standard PDF with their marketing package. But you put a lot of effort into putting an underwriting model together and you present that to the investor and you show them here's where everything is underperforming and you kind of like redline and you say, here's what I can do. Here's where I'm going to improve this. And then you show basically an as is and then a pro forma and you and you say, I stand by this and I will not only sell you this property, but when I manage it for you, I will turn this into this and you show the pro forma as the end result. That really impressed me because I hadn't seen that before. But let's be honest here. Pro formas are only as good as the people that put them together and what they actually do, right? So I was skeptical and doubtful and all that. But let's talk about that approach because that's something unique that I think very few people put the effort into doing. And I think you're really talented at. Um, And I want to highlight because I think that's a skill that you bring that not many people have. Number one, sourcing off-market deals. How do you do that? Because you've done that with me, uh, both on the buy side and the sell side. So I want to hear you. I want to hear your philosophy and approach to that because you're capturing not only the brokerage commission, but you're also capturing property management and in a lot of cases, project management. So that's not by accident. And I know this. So Talk about that more, if you wouldn't yeah, mind. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and I would, I would first just answer directly the uh, Falling into property management wasn't by accident, um, but um, essentially during the time of uh, the inception of my real estate group, my you know it was formerly at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, I felt pressure uh, internally to ensure that these properties perform. And uh, at that time, I wasn't excited to do property management. Like it wasn't, I wasn't going to pursue having like a third party, pro- you know. Toilet clogs. Well, I mean, who does? Toilet clogs. <laughs> yeah, like bookkeeping, like great, you know, like, oh, you know, 
you you know you're making revenue off of a you know two million dollar sale and you're 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 making revenue off of maybe a hundred thousand dollars in gross operating income per year and then I also f- like found out pretty early that a lot of the third party property managements especially in like kind of the more like smaller you know smaller size multifamily properties they intentionally just try to deplete clash deplete clash cash flow from investors so I was in a position where I had a fiduciary as a salesman banking on projections of me being a third party property manager, which was tied into my fiduciary, it wasn't really a question of if they were going to be successful because they had to be. And also I knew that if I sold them and they were successful, they'd probably refer their friends and they'd, they'd trust me and they'd buy more. And it's, I mean, it's, 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 I can't say that it's every single property that I've sold has just been, you know, it's just been amazing. But, uh, like that 15 unit uh, in Bellevue and there's no hate to Bellevue, but that, that specific, um, location, pretty close to off it. Um, you know, like, I don't know, you know, what, how much time passed in between that offer, the price that you had. And when my client bought it, you know, shortly after, but, uh, there was a massive acceleration of CapEx most likely during the 12 months preceding my client buying it from just total rehab of units. And, um, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty crazy, uh, how much work was done, but, but, uh, what I was going to say is like, I mean, that like, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, uh, that Avery Place property, uh, mm-hmm. which you know has had its, uh, you know, it's like had its like uh, AC capex capital expenditures that we maybe really didn't really quite plan for. But I, so, I was just looking real quick. Yeah, so, so some color commentary here. So the Avery Place property that Stephen's talking about is a property that I bought in Ralston from Stephen because he brought me the deal off market. Was this the commercial property that you have? No, this is a this is a twenty unit apartment complex, three buildings, six six. Six units, six units. No, that's wrong. Six units, seven units, seven units ish. Whatever. Correct. And uh, so I bought it, and it need you know it was uh, it was as is fine in a good location. Ralston's great uh, spot to be in in Omaha. But since then, you know, we've gone through uh, unit remodels, some capex, and so forth, and that's what he's referring to right now. So this is a property that I bought personally from Stephen. So that Stephen, this property, yeah. oh, real quick, this Stephen, this property had to be uh, a a deal for Owen to jump on it. He does doesn't jump on deals that are, you know, market value, right? Is that fair to say? First that's, off, that, that's fair to okay. say. Yeah. So why wouldn't you consider jumping on a deal like this? Yeah, great question. So the property at hand, I actually had sold it previously in 2018, and I I, I don't I, I'm not as certain with this estimated number, but I am more certain with Owen's acquisition, you know, as mm-hmm. is revenue and current. Uh, I want to say it was probably about like $7,700 in gross operating income on a monthly basis when I sold the first time, you know, for about a million dollars um, in uh, 2018. And it was like probably like November, December, 2018. When I sold it to Owen, it was actually, actually after managing it for a couple of years, we, the gross operating income was about, about 9,500. Right. Okay. Perform- so you were managing it too. Yeah, so I, you know, this property in and out. Yeah, I, I knew it. Yeah. And, and when Owen bought it, I think it was like 9,500, you know, he, he, you know, he, I think he bought it for 1.3 and I, based off of as his revenue, based off of December 1st, 2022 rent escalations, which I think like six out of seven are already committed to our, our, as his gross operating income is in my strong belief is outpacing inflation and interest rate hikes. And we're at 14,500 effective December 1st at hundred percent occupancy. So I've actually done more for Owen than the previous owner, not just because of like more experience and things of that nature, but because Owen has, you know, Owen's been willing to renovate a unit that previously was running at 675. And now it's literally, 
running at like eight ninety five. You know, so. Uh, but, but what can I, can I add, can I dig in that? Why? What are you doing to the units to make them better? Are you are you adding granite? Are you like taking these in the next level, or what? What have you done? So uh, yeah, so I mean, like, what I learned with Owen is that, uh, like, he he he. I think he's explained that like he expects you to do capex and. He, maybe he knows that if he's doing enough capex, you're making enough money where the amount of money that he's just overall spending is actually being used to improve the property and maybe not, you know, just maintenance markups and some things of that nature. So we he, he'll he'll want us to do, you know, like a like a, a full renovation and uh, you know I, I think I think a lot of that capital, you know, I mean I think we had probably like three or four ACs just on property like this last year, but like you know the uh, I think we've done like four full unit turns there and they, and. Three out of the four. I mean, they've had just remarkable return on investments year one. Can, okay, so I'm a firm believer in taking the and taking the properties above and beyond, as I, I get a hard time for sometimes. But with with this, so like, what can you say were the biggest changes that you made in these units to be able to get that big of an increase immediately? So, uh, you know, I, I I will tell you this. Uh, it's not easy just escalating someone's rent. Like, just hey, you're this is your new rate. Like, it's considerably higher than what you were paying before. Here are the you know the reasons, uh, but I, I just like I got into real estate, it was, it was pretty much a seller's market. You know, low rates, uh, very low buyer's market. There was a there was a stabilization period after the bottom of the Great Recession. I've gotten into property management at a, just an absolute boom in rent growth. So uh, to say that, like, you know. Like part, like, listen, I was, I was, I got into the business and I feel like at a a good cycle. And if I got into the business where inflation's running extremely hot and rent growth projections are not strong, I think I'd make the best of it. You know, I really do. I think I'd make the best of it, but it's, it's not difficult to sell someone a property when you know the potential because of location and what they can do. And especially with someone that's going to invest capital and do it, it makes it, there's, there's this accountability piece that hold, there's accountability to, okay, well, if they're putting money into it. Like they have to see results. You okay, know? I guess I'm digging more into this. And what are you specifically doing to the unit? Like, are you is, are you is it granite? Is it adding okay. appliances? Yeah. Like, yeah. What are you making? Uh, what are you doing to the unit to add that that value where you can get two, three hundred more rent? Which would could be what in these cases what a 40 percent increase? So first and foremost, uh, fastest ways to improve improve equity your equitable value of a property is is organic rent growth without capital expenditures and then aggregation of operational expenses or, 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 or maximize performance without, you know, essentially racking up deferred maintenance. So, which, which means what, which means like, uh, you know, the greatest properties I think to acquire and like, you know, let's say a class C older properties, sixties, eighties, you know, are, are going to be properties that are poorly managed rents are on the floor, you know, and actually it's not when the occupancy is not strong because that it just, it just puts a lot more pressure on cash flow sometimes. And it's just, you know, but it's, it's really the ones that are poorly managed by companies that just don't really, they don't, they don't have, they the, don't treat it like it's their own. Yeah. And they didn't make projections on it to, you know, cause I'm, I, mean, I can do really well on front selling it on the front end. My guy, it refinances it 18 month or 24 month upon, you know, following acquisition, there's some accountability and there's some pressure on him to kind of like potentially use me to fund a, an acquisition, you know? So, and actually Owen's, Owen is like the, uh, he's, you know, he's like the referral king. He's like, he, he wants to see people successful. People just, you know, people just have good things to say about Owen because Owen wants to see them successful, even though there's not direct benefit for him. Like, 
besides him just watching someone grow. So he doesn't really get a lot of. I don't, I don't. He's growing his reputation. It's in, yeah. Indirectly, that's what he wants. Yeah, it's it's awesome. You know. So yeah, and there's and there's operators that. Uh, you just want to win for, and I would say Owen would be one of those. And that's kind of like yeah, the I, contrast with like Chris and Colin, who I don't manage properties for, but I, you know, I, I love working with them because they're 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 great to work there, with. And there's just certain clients that you just you you would consider more of a friend than a client, right? And you go above and beyond because because you know that they appreciate you and that they treat you good, and and also generally you know is the understanding and it's easy. Right, right, and, and and forgive me. I I'm, it's kind of like I see a squirrel run by. Like I, you ask. That's me, why I don't sit on that side. Yeah, he me, actually <laughs> sees squirrels run yeah, by. I keep watching. Gets distracted. I keep watching for them. Is that is, is, that, a, is that a black squirrel? That's so rare. Listen, here's the truth. You asked me a question about finishes and aesthetics. Listen, I stuff's cool. Like it's it does, and there's a return, you know. But I'm passionate about the uh the recapture of revenue based off of hard discussions lease renewals releases marketing dollars in facebook and and qualifying tenants that aren't going to destroy the place and that are also going to pay high premiums so we leverage everything we can on the organic end to ensure you know our clients can 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 sell or disposition or they're 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 in a, a solid equity position so but when it comes to answering a direct question and not going off the path no, uh, you bring it back around i i'm 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 definitely about you know like uh waterproof lvp um i'm i'm certainly i mean I, I generally only sell properties that have central air you know mostly gas heating not not window acs i i, I generally don't sell i try not to sell properties with flat roofs I, I try i try to sell properties that have uh adequate parking um so like when it comes to the apartments i mean of course we all like two bedrooms you know, like two bedrooms or two, a, a unit mix, you know, you, you want a higher ratio of two bedrooms or maybe all two bedrooms. But the truth is you can certainly get more out of like above grade units. And so I am more apt to advising my client to put in money in a two bedroom top floor apartment opposed to a studio in the basement. When the price per foot and, the, you know, for rehab is a, roughly the same given, you know, the square footage. So uh, does that so? That's a great golden nugget right there. So we we do laminate, we do quartz. It kind of depends on the budget that's offered. Like I personally think that my connection on quartz, you know, and granite is super solid. Uh, we tend to, I mean, if you have a if you're selling an all copper building and it already has the delta valve and trim, and it already or it already has the moan delta valve and trim, which is I mean, this can just affect your costs a lot when you're redoing a bath, and it has a a generally decent bathtub. Um, we're, we're going to advise them to, you know, let's try to keep the valve. Let's just trade, trade out the trim. Um, the, you know, it can, it can be very costly to put a, uh, have a plumber put in a new surround or a new tub. And so we, we try to like actually talk our clients into, okay, let's do a, a cost analysis. If we're going to epoxy this tub and it, maybe even a fiberglass surround, which sounds idiotic if you're doing a $10,000 rehab, but if you're comparing it to the cost of doing a new tub, proper surround, like, you know, $3,500, $3,800 versus $180 in epoxy and maybe, you know, I mean, like $400 in labor. And, and you, you generally feel like it's going to last maybe like three years. I mean, like those are the kind of questions that I like to answer and I, I like to provide advice on that. Sometimes we just get instructions though from our investors because they want it their way and they have a model. Can you back this up, Owen? Uh, so here's what I, what I really, really like about what Steven does when he's managing my properties. Whenever we have a unit turn that's been, let's say, occupied a while or hasn't been touched, maybe it's a property that I bought 
and it's been occupied and somebody moves out. Steven will come to me and he'll say, basically, here is here are three options for you. We're going to do a clean and basically kind of the bare minimum, a clean, uh, you know, fix the things that need fixed and then get it released. And here's what my pro forma is on what I think it will rent for. Here is a uh, what do you call this? And you have a term for it. It's a it's a full. There's a full turn, a partial turn, and then uh, bare minimum. Bare minimum. So, yeah. so the partial turn is more like what we'll do: paint and maybe fixtures, but not we're we're not going to gut the bathroom or the kitchen and add cabinets and all that. And a full turn generally is like you are making this like it's almost a new build. So you're doing LVP. You know, like a nice color scheme on the walls and, and trim, new doors, uh, cabinets or cabinet fronts, you know, new countertops, fixtures, and you're you're redoing the bathroom as well. Do you guys have like levels that you do? Like, yeah, like you always have the same colors, same flooring. Yes. And is that with all your clients or do you do that per client? So we so I would say. And what like, are and what are the levels? So as much as I want to, you know, just kind of keep it clean, like this, these are the metal finishes, this is that, you know, some of our clients are, are just more particular involved in particular on selections. Because I, have, I, have, I, would, I would have a very specific <laughs> he was layout. looking at me just give, sideways. Just give him the stink eye. Uh, so the part, the, the, the bare minimum, I think, is, is popular in times where we're imminent downturn or, you know, I haven't really faced this quite yet because the recession lasted like 21 days in 2020. But, you know, let's just say like, you know, market starts to turn a little bit. Things are getting more challenging. Naturally, I'm probably going to be, you know, just budgeting for less capital expenditures, profit margins in our property management business. So that means that like, I think like a, a bare minimum turn is is, is going to be popular for the guy that, you know, hey, I'm going to be a leaking oil as a result of a tax basis or raising capital for a deal this time, I need you to kind of like keep it together. Uh, like, and, and just like really take care of me. I'll, I'll get you on the backside. Just, just be so patient. This, this or, is a rental turn. I call that rental turn. Yeah. Which is like, just, which is like uh, for me, rent uh, ready. yeah. And, and that could literally mean shampooing, 20 year old carpet if yep. it has to be you know I, what i tell people is if you know we have i, I know the the blue and pink and green shit tiles coming back but supposedly <laughs> but listen the what you really if you have something that's like literally like not been touched since 1965 okay what you what you do is it's not that you're not going to capture like decent rent it's that you're you're not going to capture the 4x multiplier on uh I you totally know agree. debt like 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 net income or you're, you're you're less likely to have multiple applicants you're you're more likely to not to just have less showing activity because you can't you can't, you're going to post pictures people don't really like to look at apartments unless there's pictures okay and if you if you, if you show them pictures of something that's not and then they get there like it's it's probably not ideal for your 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 conversion rate so the bare minimum is like usually like it's usually lvp it's like bare minimum repairs. We're reattaching cabinet doors. Bare minimum is putting in a uh, – taking out a Tuscany Menards. Forgive me, Menards. Uh, but like, you know, this like plastic, crappy mm -hmm. little, little plumbing, Chinese. Plumbing yeah. yeah. And then it's 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 like replacing some light fixtures. It's like doing paint touch-ups. And then as you go to a partial turn, you're for sure going – I mean, at least we do. We In a multifamily dwelling – we're going LVP throughout. We're we're repainting. We're maybe we're, I actually think it's almost like silly not to do doors and trim by the time you have extra cutting involved for just doing walls and ceilings because you almost have to always have to do walls and ceilings and it requires. I mean, I'm not a painter, but I know enough about it where you know you could do you could 
you could paint it, you could spray trim door trim baseboards and you know if you're doing a light color for the wall you know it's like you you're you you're just not as much cutting which means it drops your labor costs and you're, you're not going expensive on wall paint anyway like owen loves owen loves gray paint let's talk about this. simple gray simple gray and guess what the market loves gray paint but i think for touch-ups paint touch-ups and like uh bare minimum i, I think white on white is, is some, some of the best because you can usually get away with like filler and like putty and like just extremely light paintbrush touch-ups where like you know when you have sheetrock or plaster behind paint it's just not the same uh i, I so I, I think that I, I think if you're gonna paint a unit and you have a budget see if you can actually do the trim indoors too because i think trim indoors is huge also we will reface cabinetry and that term i, I don't know if that's a term but that means that like if we have upper cabinets that have the arches, you know, the ugly mm-hmm. oak and the, you know, the bottom ones are straight. We, we will, we'll use, you know, Rux cabinet doors, shout out to Rux taking care of us all the time for cabinetry, upper cabinet doors. We will, we will replace doors that are in bad shape and we'll just, without doing all the boxes, um, we will, you know, it's like we'll, we'll do. So a partial turn could maybe be replacing half the appliances. Full turn is all out. Sometimes new cabinets, I would say most of the time. You know, tile backsplash, no, no four inch lip built in uh, to the to the countertop. Um, you know, and I'm trying I'm trying to get us closer. Plumbers are going to hate this to to not going all out on like plumbing and electrical upgrades because it just runs costs up so high. And I'm not a believer. That's the one thing I always do with all my units. I I, I believe in everything you just said, but I always make sure, as you see behind you, that I put the square square switches and square plugs because I feel like it makes it feel new and modern. Yeah, like decora. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, and you can, oh, you can get And great. it's cheap. It, it really is. Because when you go into those units and they got the, the plugs that are been painted over 17 times and they got the, and they got the, the cigarette that. stained, you know, plastic around yeah. it or, or the switch that's black around it because it's been switched so many times you can't clean it. I, I'm disgusted with that. So I, I just think that that little upgrade just does so much value. And sorry, by 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 electrical significant electrical work, I, which maybe is not what I said. I meant like converting a gas range to a you know two twenty, adding can lights. Oh, I, to I, a, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm adding just, can I'm just lights my two to cents. a family room. Yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. totally. Wow, what an awesome first half of a podcast, wouldn't you say, Owen? I loved it. Oh man. Okay, so just wait till part two comes out tomorrow or if you've listened to this or if you're not listening to this live it'll be on your next episode here right yes <laughs> i loved it man what great energy awesome hard-hitting stuff i think everybody that listened to the intro is probably like yep he he kind of does politician this all the way around <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right i hope you enjoyed part one of this podcast part two is coming up next check it out <laughs>